Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. Turns out attitude matters. And uh, we're thinking a little bit today about perspective. And uh, I looked it up on the internet, so this has to be true. It says that perspective is the attitude through which you see the world. It's the attitude through which you see the world. And it turns out that the attitude through which we see the world is kind of important. It kind of matters. Kind of has some impact and implications for us. And so uh, as we think about that today, what I hope is that we could kind of have a maybe a perspective shift today and it's going to be a perspective of grace shocking I know you probably didn't pick up in the worship set that we were singing about talking about grace but we are and then some people will say well we've talked a lot about grace during this series well it's from the book of Galatians so you're going to have a hard time finding another topic in the book of Galatians we're just working our way straight through the book and so if you're going to talk about the book of Galatians you're going to have to talk about grace Because, in fact, the reason for the writing of the letter is that the people in Galatia have gone through a transformation that Paul cannot comprehend. See, Paul was born into a structure of religion. A lot of rules, a lot of regulations. Jesus would refer to this structure as the yoke of slavery. Paul was born into it. He sold out to it. He believed in it 100%. He committed his life to telling this truth. So deeply was he embedded in the telling of this truth that when others disagreed with it, he was willing to punish them, persecute them, torture them, put them in jail, and all the way up to and including kill them. Then, one day, God opened heaven and spoke directly to Paul. Jesus said to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Imagine the shock of these words for Saul. Persecute you? I am the righteous defender of the faith. I've sold out everything. I've excelled at every level of living out and practicing this faith that you can excel in. Persecute you. Who are you? That's what he says. (laughs) I am Jesus, the Christ whom you persecute. You, You getting the weight of this conversation? With this man who had no ill intent except to preserve the truth. He had been born into it, and he found himself face-to-face with a grace he had never comprehended, never understood. And it was the grace of this moment that transformed When I received it, you can go back and read the first two chapters if you want. When I received it, I didn't consult any human. I got on my bike.
I went immediately and started to share the gospel of grace with other people. I was so overwhelmed by it. I was so overjoyed by it. I found such liberation in it. It transformed everything about me so much so that I didn't ask anybody. I just started telling everybody. I just went and started telling everybody what happened to me and what ought to happen to them. And I talked about it and talked about it. After 14 years, I thought, you know, I might not check in. This is a, I'm encapsulating the story. I ought to check in with those people that actually run the church. They, they may, we ought to check, we ought to check in. And he goes and checks in. And then somewhere along the way, he had gone to Galatia and he had introduced them. That church had been born into a gospel of grace. They had been born into it. And now the unthinkable has happened for Paul. They are entertaining the idea of stepping back into a gospel of religion instead of relationship. And he's saying, hey, I was born in it and got liberated. I can't imagine being born free, (laughs) as free as the wind blows. That's just for you older people because you can't, there's no way you can say that phrase and not say those other words. You just, and young people are like, I have no idea what they're talking about. I have no idea what's going on right now. There was a song, and it was called Born Free, as free as the wind blows, as free as the grass grows. Born free to follow my heart. You can look it up. (laughs) He can't comprehend that these people who are born free would leave the yoke of freedom to take on the yoke of slavery. He can't get it in his brain. I grew up in that. Why would you want to go back there? Why would you want to do that? Why would you surrender to such a thing? Why would you even begin to think about it? And that's what prompts this process, this letter. So it's a letter about grace. It's a letter about grace. And we live in this dilemma. We feel responsible to live out and teach the truths of God's Word. Amen? We don't give it up. We don't compromise it. We don't let it go. We're not trying to figure out gymnastics with it. We're just trying to understand how we're supposed to live it. And we believe that it's a lamp to our feet. It's a light to our path. That actually there's truth here that really helps you live a life that is healthy and whole and full and good. And we've lived long enough, most of us have lived long enough to know, yeah, I did some things that it said I shouldn't do and it didn't go well. It didn't work out that great. It looked good at the time, but it didn't, it didn't turn out that way. But somehow, the need to live this truth has gotten mixed up with the need to enforce this truth. I can't hear amens online, so (laughs) somehow this thing has gotten mixed up with the call to live this truth, with the call to enforce this truth. And the scripture says we're not supposed to talk about being the people of God. We're supposed to be the people of God. We're to let our light shine in such a way, hear that? We're to pontificate on social media in such a way 
we're to get our pastors and teachers up front in such a way. No. We are to live in such a way. We are to let our light shine so that they see our good. We're supposed to not talk about the kingdom. We're supposed to live the kingdom. People should find us peculiar. Not because we're weird. Because Lord knows the church has been weird long enough. When the scripture encourages us to be strangers, it doesn't encourage us to be strange. It encourages us to be different. Peculiar because those people are nicer than anybody I ever met. They're more loving than anyone I ever met. They're more gentle than anyone I've ever met. What's going on with those people? It's like they're happy. It's like they're well-adjusted. It's like they know who they are. They know where they came from. They know where they're going. They're not all stressed out about life. They're not worried about the next thing that's happening. They just figure God's got this thing. I'm just going to stick with God. He knows where we're going. Don't need to figure it all out. Don't need to understand every little nuance. Because this true thing becomes an issue, doesn't it? I mean, because what we mean is, I want people to believe the truth as I understand it and believe it and teach it. But what about that church down the street? That may be way more liberal than we are. And they're preaching a different truth. And feel justified. Do we want them to come over and teach their truth? Or maybe there's some folks way over there. They've gone all to the far right and they're into a fundamentalist perspective. And do we want them to come and teach their truth? Because it's all the truth. I mean, Paul was teaching the truth until God said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? What are you talking about, God? I'm not persecuting you. I'm helping you. No, you're not. You're not at all. I am Jesus Christ, whom you persecute. That's got to be a shocking moment. But I thought I was doing so good. Yeah, I know you did. I didn't ask you to talk about it. I ask you to live the gospel, to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. I ask you to be peculiar in your culture. I didn't ask you to mirror back your culture from a Christian perspective. I ask you to live a different value. You've heard it said to love those who love you, but I say love your enemies and love those who misuse you. That's different. (laughs) That's unheard of. That doesn't really happen anywhere else. We sing about it. It's amazing to me. You can sing Amazing Grace anywhere and people know it and join in. Isn't that weird? In a culture where you can't do very much without getting, you know, PC corrected. Amen? But you can still sing Amazing Grace. So weird to me. You you hear it sung and, you know... There'll be a concert, and, you know, there'll be all kinds of things going on, and somehow there'll be amazing grace in it. You'll be like, I don't don't know how that fit with the dancing girls, but here we are. (laughs) It's it's happening right here. Maybe it's because grace is amazing, (laughs) and everybody wants some, and everybody needs some. John Newton was not a good human. I think it's fair to say. I think John Newton would say he was not a good human. 
What's interesting to me about John Newton is we know a tiny bit about his story, but if you do research into his story, you find out, no, he was always a bad guy. He just never was a nice person. His reputation growing up is that he's insubordinate and difficult. His life took a radical turn when he was drafted into the Royal Navy and forced, he was forced to behave, forced to behave. He was forced to learn a skill. His skill was captaining a ship. When he got out of the Royal Navy, he got his own ship. He became a slave trader. He operated a slave ship for a number of years. And then we're told that, that there was a tremendous storm one night, and he begged for God's mercy, begged for God to spare his life, begged for God's mercy, and God spared his life. I don't know how many of these stories we never hear because God spared his life, and then they went back to doing whatever they were doing. <laughs> but that's not what happened to John Newton. John Newton... His heart was genuinely changed in this moment. So much so that he began to extricate himself from the slave trade. He, he sold his ship. He got out of the business. But not only did he sell his ship and get out of the business, he went back to school. And he studied to become a minister. And he became an ordained minister. He became one of the leading abolitionists of the 18th century. In 1773, after having gone through this transformation, he sat down at a table and he began to write Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Was grace that taught my heart to fear. You get that line? <laughs> I thought I was the top of the food chain. I didn't think my, I had accountability to anybody. It was grace that taught my heart to fear. And grace, my fears, relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. The Lord has promised good to me. Powerful words about grace. And we know this. It is grace that transforms people's lives. I don't know about you, but I don't hang out well with people who aren't graceful with me. You know, I lost my mom this year. And if you say, what was it about my mom that made it so nice to hang out with her? Grace. Grace. Unmerited favor. She thought I was better than I was. She died thinking I was better than I was. And she knew me better than anybody else. Grace. 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 We don't respond well to the other stuff, do we? We don't like it. And here's the crazy thing. It's contagious. It's absolutely contagious. When you practice grace with people... You create an ethos of love and acceptance, of forgiveness and redemption, of restoration and reconciliation, of growth and maturity. When you practice grace with people, there's a freedom in the environment. Yeah, I messed up. I'm a mess. <laughs> Surprise. Surprise. Isn't it interesting how shocked we are that things are dysfunctional in the world? I mean, we are. We continually act like we're surprised. I just can't believe this isn't working. Really? You can't? Because it's human beings. And human beings are fallible. 
their very best efforts. Fallible, 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 fallible. I mean, and yet we continuously are shocked at the fallibility of human beings. Even shocked at our own fallibility. Can't believe I did that again. Can't believe I said that. Don't know what I was thinking. But grace is contagious. Grace is contagious. Isn't it interesting that we're supposed to gather around the table and we're supposed to say, Grace, do we? I don't mean do you pray to God. Thank you for the food. Thank you for the day. I don't mean that. Don't you think that the custom of saying a prayer before you eat and referring to it as saying grace is about shifting your perspective back into a place of grace? We receive bounty from God. Let's give bounty to each other. How are you? I know you're a mess, but I love you. This is a table of grace. We said grace. We're saying grace around this table. Whoa, oh, oh. We're not saying that. That's not grace. That was something else. Which, by the way, is far more contagious than grace. And we live in a culture that does not cultivate grace in any way. I mean, our culture has taken the lack of grace to an art form. Not only are you responsible for your own mess, but you're responsible for things you might have said or done 20 years ago or 30 years ago or 40 years ago or 50 years ago. God forbid that someone took photos. (laughs) Photos are an old thing that you did with a camera and film. You had to get them developed. It was a mess. You had to buy film. You had to put it in your camera. You ran out. Of, you could run out of the ability to take photos. <laughs> Amen? And the quality of those photos weren't worth taking in the first place. <laughs> it's a crazy world. <laughs> what kind of camera should I buy? Um, you already own the best camera in history. Go with it. God forbid there are pictures to remind it, because you're, you're, you're not going to get grace for something that happened to you when you were a kid who didn't even know what you were doing. You didn't even know what the world was about. You were thinking about one thing. Will people laugh at this? Okay, good enough. <laughs> Am I likely to die? Nah. <laughs> Amen? And that stuff's contagious. In a world where we judge each other and look at each other and are mad at each other and divisive with each other and we get on TV and we talk about what's wrong with everybody. You know, we got the football going on right now. It's happening. Everybody know that? Today, go turn it on. You'll hear people talking about what people ought to do differently and why they're doing it wrong and how they would do it. Yada, blah, blah. And that gets inside of us. And we hear people that talk about stuff that we don't like. And what happens to us? We're not peculiar. We're responsive. We just fight back. Well, I'll tell you what. We, we got to take the truth of God and we got to scream it as loud as they're speaking the truth of other things. Oh, no, we don't. We have to live the grace. We have to live it. Paul knows what he's talking about. He's lived it. He's been down this journey He's gone through it. He knows what he's talking about. The scripture says, where there is no revelation, the people perish. Meaning, where people stop looking up to God and start looking around at each other, everything implodes very quickly. This is true about life, and it's true about our home, and it's true about our family, but it's true about our inner world. 
How much time do we spend looking up versus how much time we look at each other? Because I don't know if you know this, but if you look at each other, we are fallible human beings. All of us. All of us. And once we get tipped because the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control. That's what happens when we say grace. But the fruit of this other Spirit is suspicion and condemnation. This, this other Spirit is a Spirit that robs us of joy and freedom. It robs us of interconnectedness because when someone's judging us, what do we want to do? We want to hide. We, we don't want to be known. We don't want to talk. We don't want to share our feelings or our emotions or our thoughts or our brokenness. But grace is what transforms a person who is thoroughly broken. Who, who, who is down on the very last... That's why Jesus said, I, I spend time with the broken. I spend time with the sinners. I'm not spending time with the well people, not because they don't need it, but because they can't hear it. Because they don't think they need grace. That's why Paul was so overwhelmed. Paul was always like, well, I, I didn't need it either. Had you not opened heaven and whacked me on the head, knocked me off my horse, spoke to me face to face. And just so we know, a lot of us have been knocked off and spoken to. And what did we say? Well, that was a rough one. Guess I ate something funny. Guess I was having a bad day. That even in those moments of stark revelation, where God says, Stop! We're like, well, I don't know. I don't know what I saw. I don't know what I heard. I don't know what that was about. It was weird. Paul describes it this way, Philippians 3. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, as someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever regains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. It's a pretty simple thing. Here's what it means to live in an honest perspective. Number one, I need grace. 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 I am not all of that. I mean, I know that we think what we think because we think we're right. Amen? You've heard me say this before. I've come to the conclusion at this stage of my life that I believe things deeply, but I don't know very much. You know, I don't know very much. And because I don't know very much, I want to be humble. And a perspective of grace, an honest perspective, is just honestly saying, I need a lot of grace. I do. And you do. And thank God he gives us a lot of grace. And because I humbly acknowledge my deep need for grace. And let's be honest about this. Again, I recognize that when I talk on a Sunday, half of you are taking it on the chin. Half of you are going, oh, it's me. He's talking about me. Man, it's like he was listening to me this week. It's me. I'm a mess. The other half are going, I am so glad people are hearing this. They have needed it. In fact, I'm going to call some people when this is over. 
Maybe they could come at 11.30 and hear it in person because they need it badly. I know some people that really need to stop judging others. Take your time. Take your time. We got all day. And I recognize these are the two personality types. You know. And what's interesting to me is that Sometimes the people who are most broken and feel it are the people who have been broken in ways that create shame. We create a lot of shame around sexual sin. And people who feel like other people need to hear it usually are struggling in the world of attitude and ego, which are far nicer sins. Amen? We do this in the church. Well, as long as you're just having a bad attitude and you're just saying mean words and you're just gossiping about people, that's, that's not shameful. Wrong. <laughs> you're getting ahead. <laughs> as long as you didn't do the capital crimes. But people who do capital crimes know about grace. I need grace. I messed up bad. I need grace. I'm broken. I'm at the bottom. I feel real shame. Someone can love me here. Someone can scoop me up here. Sometimes over here, we're like, nope. God was so lucky to get me. <laughs> I mean, he's... I mean, I'm pretty sure when I get to heaven, I'll be doing a big mansion. I mean, I'll be doing like... God will be like, oh! I've been so anxious for you to get here. Man, dude, you're woo. <laughs> and we laugh. But as a pastor of almost 40 years, I can't tell you how many people I've met who fall right into this category. And they really believe it. I mean, they'd never say it out loud. But you don't have to talk to them very long before they, they're kind of, they're all that and a bag of chips. And don't you think that's what Jesus was dealing with when he was dealing with the Pharisees? Yes. Like, here's all these people. God's lucky to have them. And then there's a whole bunch of people that are just broken and devastated. Guess where I'm hanging out? Guess where grace transforms? It transforms right over in here in the brokenness. So we acknowledge that we need grace. And then the second step is, is equally simple. That means then we also know that everybody else needs grace. Because we live in a perspective in which I need grace, I need grace, I need grace, I'm going to offer grace. And we don't. I have zero patience with people. I was coming home from work this week. I don't know if you know this, but down on Broadview they have speed bumps. Because people won't go slow. Not like the speed bumps slow them down. That's a challenge. And then the city, in their wisdom, they, they created slots in the middle of the road where you don't have to hit the speed bumps. They're for emergency vehicles. Right. Because <laughs> the people that tend to break the speed limit aren't going to cross the center line to miss the speed bump. But I got behind a lady, and yes, I did verify that it was a lady. I'm not being prejudiced.
And there's a big sign when you come to the speed bump, and it says, speed limit, 15 miles per hour. For the speed bump, not for the entire length of Broadview. <laughs> Absolutely no reason to reduce your speed to speed bump speed until you get to the speed bump. And I'm riding behind this woman and I'm thinking, I have very little patience. Because how far am I going to be on this road? I mean, honestly, what are we talking at the end of the day? If she goes 15 or 25, the posted speed limit. What are we talking? 38 seconds? I don't have that kind of time to waste. I, I got stuff to do. And you say that in your head and you're like, yeah, that's so stupid. But in your heart, you're like, ah! Ah! I'm not going to honk. She probably goes to our church. Ah! <laughs> See, you don't have to live with that pressure. <laughs> I see myself as a person in need of grace, and then I, I, I pour grace out on the lives of others. Paul, in Acts 20:24, 20, is summarizing his story. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. This is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. I'm not talking about other things. I am declaring the truth of the gospel of grace. I'm talking about grace. When I talk to people, here's what I want to talk about, grace. I want to talk about grace. I want to be a light in the world. I want to be the salt of the earth. I want to be an example of the kingdom of God. I want to live in a peculiar way. And it's simple. I receive grace, and then I give grace to others. How are you doing with that? How are you doing with that? I, I could read scripture after scripture. I got them all in here, but at this point, I'm all over the map. So listen to Galatians 2.11. Scholars say this is the heart of it. This is what Paul really wanted to talk about, and this is the climactic turn in the letter. So it's not very many verses, but listen to the language of it. It's very strong. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Listen, uh, just so you know, you're going to hear people say Cephas is not Peter, he's somebody else. And this is why, because of this phrase. <laughs> When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to, a face, to his face because he stood condemned. You can't really have the leader of the church being you know, opposed to his face and condemned. Cephas is the Aramaic name for Peter. Petra is the Greek name. Cephas is the Aramaic name. He's just using his Aramaic name in this sequence. It's Peter. Yep, that Peter. The head of the church, Peter. Peter, Peter. But if you go online, you'll find people going, that's ah, a different person. No, it's... It's Peter. Every evidence says it's Peter. Oh, yeah, there was reading. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, that's a hint, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you forth the Gentiles to follow the Jewish customs? 
So this is what's happening. The early church had turned the Lord's Supper into what they called the love feast. And so they came together and they experienced the breaking of the bread and the drinking of the wine in commemoration of the death and resurrection of Jesus, which is a celebration of grace. And then it made sense to them to say, you know, not only are we celebrating this experience of the grace of God to us, we are visiting this grace on others. So the early church founded the Love Feast. Now, the Love Feast was this place. It, it was the original church potluck. You with me? Yes. It's exactly what it was. But at this table, following the breaking of the bread and the Lord's Supper, came the Love Feast. And the Love Feast was the time in which those who had a lot brought a lot, and those who had a little bought a little. And they sat down at the table after their time of worship and teaching, and the breaking of the Lord's Supper, now they gathered together and they ate at one table. At this table, there were no male or female, there was no Jew or Greek, there were no slave or free, no barbarian, no Scythian. There were not wealthy and poor. All social status and standing were erased at the table of grace over which they said grace, where they spoke. The world had never seen such a place, not ever. Not ever in his history had there been a table in which you were invited to sit as an equal with any other human on the planet and partake together in abundance. Never had it ever occurred. The love's feast and its expression was so powerful that the New Testament church was exploding because people wanted to sit at the table of grace. They wanted to sit in a space in which there weren't rich and poor, in which there weren't slave and free, in which there weren't male and female, in a world dominated by slavery, in a world dominated by a patriarchal society in which women and children were property, in which race defined everything. You were Roman or something else. You were Jewish or something else. Just a few chosen races that held all the power. But at this table in the church, it was a table of equality and grace. It was a table where they... And so Peter has come to the churches of the Gentile world and he has sat at the table. Now there's a problems here if you're a Jew. Number one, there's probably things on the table you ought not eat. You're not getting yourself a cheeseburger in the Holy Land, just so you know. They don't put dairy and meat together. You're not getting cream sauce. That's not how it works. You can have butter at breakfast. You're getting margarine the rest of the day. Us KG North Americans, we pack up the butter at breakfast. <laughs> Guaranteeing you there's things on that table he ought not eat. Even if there are things he can't eat, it hasn't been prepared in a kosher way. Not to mention, he's not supposed to sit with Greeks or Gentiles and eat. But Peter has been. He's been enjoying. He's been getting, getting the Kraft macaroni and cheese. He's been going through the line twice. He's having that ambrosia jello salad thing. He's doing all of it. And then he notices that people from James have been coming. 
As an indicator that James is probably the leader of the Judaizers in Jerusalem. He's the head of the Jerusalem council. So we kind of have the distinct perspective of Peter. And now we're getting the distinct perspective. But these guys have started to show up. And you know what they're doing? They're standing over in a corner. And they're watching. And Peter's starting to feel uncomfortable. And so Peter removes himself. He separates himself from the table. And then other Jews around the table see that he's separating himself from the table. So they get up. And Paul says, even Barnabas, who's the most encouraging, loving, the kindest human on the planet, has been infected with the cancerous nature of judgmentalism. And he has risen from the table, and he has separated himself. And now the Greeks are sitting at the table, and they're looking at each other. And the slaves are looking at the free people, and the rich people are looking at the poor people, and the poor people are looking at the rich people. And this was a table of grace. So I confronted him to his face... Because he stood condemned. Because that's the worst kind of hypocrisy. Because we are people of grace. Are we? Are you peculiar? Yes. Not because you're weird, but because you're peculiar. Yes. Like you don't do what other people do. You don't respond the way they respond. You don't think the way they think. They think judgment and you think grace. They think i got to tell everybody what to do and what to be. I don't. I humbly receive the grace and I offer you grace. I want to speak grace. I want to live grace. I want to walk in it. I want to traffic in it. And I think in doing so, they will see the light. And they'll give praise to our Father in heaven. They might even come and say, hey, I'm struggling with a few things. What does the Word of God say about that? Let me tell you what the Word of God says about that. It's a lamp to our feet. It's a light to our path. There's a... There's a time and a place for us to speak into the lives of others. And it's usually when we have been invited by the power of grace. God, would you help us? As we think about what it means to be your people, as we think about what it means to be the kingdom of God, as we think about what it means to have an attitude adjustment, we're inviting you to do work in us. We're inviting you to shift our perspective, a perspective, an attitude through which we see the world. God, we're recipients of grace. You've poured it out on us. In fact, you didn't just pour it out on us. You sought us out to pour it out on us. You came, found, you came and found us so that you could give us grace. You didn't just tolerate us when we messed up. You, you searched for us. And once you found us, you gave us grace. And in our experience, that's what's changed us. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. God, would you do work in us right now as we listen to the powerful truth that your grace finds us? Would you hear our prayers and our confessions? And would you teach us to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth? We pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said together. Will you stand as we respond to the word? Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.